All right, uh, we are going to open up the word and uh, read it together. Uh, and then Pastor Paul is going to preach the word to us. Can I invite you guys to open up the Bible? And we are in the book of Mark, as usual. Um, we've been in the book of Mark for a while. And the passage for today is Mark chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 1 to 6. Mark chapter 6. This is one to six. I'll be reading the ESC version. And uh, just a reminder, as I read, that this is the word of God. Mark 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and, uh, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went among the villages teaching. Amen. Amen. Um, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna slot someone into a breakout room. Oh my bad. Um, I, I love I love Zoom. I love multitasking. Where are you? Where are you? Wait, I'm just gonna ask Daniel to do it. Daniel, can you put uh, Chloe Christie into a breakout room? The King's Kids. Thank you. All right, thanks, Daniel. Um, hi guys, uh, good to see you all. Um, hope we're surviving lockdown. As you can see, um, my hair has gone all shaggy. I wanted my moustache to uh, imitate my hair and fit it. And so this is just what's going on. This is the lockdown kind of feels. Um, I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna jump into today's sermon. So let me quickly pray for us and then we'll begin. Um, <clears throat> God, we just wanna, um, we wanna meet with you today. Um, that is our heart's desire. Uh, we don't want to just jump on Zoom. We don't want to just see people's faces. We don't want to just hear about you, sing songs about you. And we want to meet with you. And God, we know that it's hard during lockdown to do that. Uh, but God, there's uh, nothing that can limit um, your work. Uh, COVID cannot limit your work. Lockdown cannot limit your work. Um, and you are here with us. And we believe that. And so God, we open up your word uh, that you might speak to us. I open up my mouth and I ask that you would speak clearly through me, faithfully, and we open up our hearts, uh, that into our hearts, uh, that you might uh, speak your word, uh, that you might transform us uh, yeah, deep in our hearts. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, if you've been following with us through the Gospel of Mark, uh, you would have found that, um, yeah, that we've kind of seen Jesus do some amazing things over the last um, maybe three, four weeks. Uh, if I just want to recap some of the things we've seen, uh, we saw Jesus' power and authority over nature, but he calmed this mighty windstorm that made the disciples afraid. They thought they were dying, and Jesus, with just a few words, right, everything just radically changed. Uh, we saw that Jesus, uh, he cast out a legion of demons, right? There was a huge uh, kind of legion of demons possessing a man, and, you know, no one could restrain him, uh, but with just a few words again, uh, he cast them out into a herd of pigs, and they all run off a cliff, right, 2,000 of them, right, showing how kind of strong the demons were, but then even 
uh, more stronger than them how strong Jesus is. And then last week, uh, Peter talked about how you know, Jesus has authority over the body, right? The physical body. Uh, Jesus heals a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and he raises a girl uh, who everyone thought was dead and they were already mourning that she was dead. So it kind of feels like Jesus is on a roll here. Right? Jesus is like hitting it out of the park. There are incredible displays of his power and his authority, one after another. And it feels like things can't get any better, right? It's just kind of escalating in terms of his glory, his authority, his power. And in today's passage in chapter six, we see Jesus uh, come back home, right? Verse one says, uh, Jesus went away from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples uh, followed him. Uh, so Jesus is going back home. And you can imagine uh, that this is going to be like the highlight of Jesus' ministry. It's the cherry on top of what has been just an amazing you know, last few events because he's going to go back home. I imagine this might feel like uh, what happens when, you know, like an NBA superstar goes back home to their, you know, small hometown. Uh, there's a little a boy or a girl who grew up in a small street and, you know, they know everyone. Everyone knows who they are. And then they go off to college and they become famous. They become a basketball player. They join the NBA and they win the championship. And finally, they make their way home. And how exciting would it be? Exciting for them to see you know, old faces and old places. How exciting for the hometown to see you know, their homegrown hero come back. And you just imagine that it would just be a great time of joy and celebration. Right? If there's anyone who would receive the hometown hero back, it would be like the people who knew him. And right? they should receive him with greatest joy, most welcome, the, the, maybe even the greatest faith, right? you'd think, in terms of Jesus. And it seems like that uh, as we read verse two, right? If you look at verse two, it says, <clears throat> and on the Sabbath, uh, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue and uh, many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? And so they're astonished, it says, and they're asking, you know, where did he get these things? What's this wisdom? How is he so powerful? But then we come to verse three and we see that something's not right. They say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. For some reason, uh, the response is not the response we expect. They don't respond in the kind of receptiveness, uh, the faith that you might hope that his hometown would receive him with. Right? We expect them to be most receptive, but in fact, they're kind of less receptive than what we've seen over the last, you know, three, four events. And Jesus explains why in verse four. And this is kind of the principle that we're going to hang on to today. Verse four, this is what we read. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. I want to read that one more time. A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household <clears throat> now this principle or proverb is talking about uh, how difficult it is to receive honor from those you know well right jesus is using a double negative what he's saying is a prophet receives honor a prophet receives honor wherever they go except when they go home when they're with relatives or in their household now the way jesus is saying it here it's a kind of universal principle Right. See how he doesn't say, even I'm not honored? 
he doesn't say that. He says a prophet, right? He's making a generalized statement. And he says a prophet because prophets were honored, you know, in the Jewish context. Right? A prophet was a mouthpiece for God. And so by default, if you were a prophet, you should have been honored. You should have been respected. But Jesus is saying even a prophet, right? even a mouthpiece of God, when they go back home, they're not honored. Right. And so this applies to Jesus. But this also then applies kind of to everyone. Right? If even a prophet's not honored, how much more so for you know, the rest of us right, who live on this earth? And so because it's a generalized principle, we're going to do two things. Number one, I'm going to apply that principle just to our lives, you know, in our interactions at work or home with friends and church. That's the first point. And then the second one, I'm going to apply it to Jesus. Right? That's the context here. So let me apply this principle just in general to you know, the relationships we have. Right? Our honor to other people that we know. You know, this idea that, you know, the more you know someone, the harder it is to honor them is, um, is, is kind of common, right? People, we have a phrase for that in the Western culture. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, familiarity breeds contempt. <coughs> familiarity breeds contempt. It's, it's saying the same thing. It's this idea that the more you know someone, the more you find fault in them, and the harder it is to honor them. And if you think about your own life, we see it all the time you know when we meet someone for the first time i don't know about you um like when i meet someone for the first time i'm usually like really respectful i'm really careful i'm like oh you know i'm so nice to them i honor them so much um but then you know when you're you get more familiar and comfortable with them our honor tends to kind of decrease right so it could be a friend you're really nice to them at the start but the more you get comfortable you kind of respect and honor them a bit less with your words or your actions maybe when you start dating Right? You're like, oh, you know, let me open the door for you. Oh, oh please sit down and you, you, you get the chair for them. But, you know, five years into dating or maybe five years into marriage, you know, the way you honor and respect, you know, maybe, you know, maybe kind of decreases. It's the same, you know, all over the place. And I think this is why parents uh, struggle um, to kind of honor their child at times. Right? They always treat their child like a child because they're always kind of so familiar with them. They know them so well. So even when the child becomes an adult and the parents should kind of honor them as an adult, it's hard because familiarity breeds contempt, right? They know them so well. They know their weaknesses so well, right? And they're so used to kind of them being a certain person that it's hard for them to see them in a different way. We see that in the church, right? And so I saw that struggle, you know, back when, you know, we were the younger generation, we were always treated as, you know, the, the children, Right. We had people in our 40s and 50s in our congregation, but you know, the adults would always refer to us as kids. Right. It's just a difficulty. It's universal, the difficulty to honor those that we're familiar with, right? Because we just know them so well. It could be a workmate who has now become your boss and you struggle to honor them. It could be a friend who's now a leader in church and you struggle to honor them. Right. The more you know someone, the harder it can be to honor them. When you think about those you are most familiar with, most comfortable with, do you tend to give them more or less honor? Now, there's a few reasons why we might not give someone honor. Sometimes it's legitimate. It's their, their fault. We know them well, and really, they're just people who you can't honor, right? And that, that might not be your fault. It's their fault. They have flaws and weaknesses, valid traits that make it difficult to honor them. Sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes it's like no one's fault. 
It's just the way it is. We're, too, we're comfortable. And so you've got to work through that to try to you know, change that dynamic and honor them. But here's the thing. This is what I want to talk about. Because sometimes it's not their fault. It's our fault. Sometimes the lack of honor has nothing to do with their, that person. But it's me, my heart, my pride, my lack of humility. Maybe it's my jealousy because I know them and, you know, we used to be friends, but now they have a better position than me. Sometimes it's our fault. Oftentimes, honoring has more to do with me, the person who honors than the person who is being honored or not being honored. And I need to make a choice to give honor. I need to choose that. And when you look at our passage today, I want you to think about who is not being honored. It's Jesus. He's the perfect one. Right? I, just want to, I don't know what it would have been like to have um, Jesus around in your neighborhood, uh, but he's the perfect child, right? <laughs> he would have never you know, disobeyed his parents. He would have always obeyed God's law, even as a child, right? perfectly kind of embodying love and patience, forgiveness. Surely he's the child that you know, every parent would compare their child to, right? Well, why can't you be more like Jesus, right? That, that's Jesus. And so all the parents as they grew up with him would have seen him just as a perfect child. And now as an adult, none of that has changed. There's nothing to fault about Jesus, right? Remember when you read verse two, they're astonished. They see his wisdom. They see his mighty works. They've got nothing to fault about what he's doing. But where they struggle is that they think they know him. Right? They're familiar with him. And therefore, they dishonor him. They dishonor the most honorable person who has ever lived. If there's ever a person who should be respected and respectable, it's Jesus. And yet in the face of this perfect one, they are able to dishonor him. It's got nothing to do with him. It's got everything to do with them. They don't have that maybe humility to honor this person. Right? They refer to Jesus as the carpenter. They say, this is Mary's son. It's as if they're like, um, he's just like us. Who is he? Who, who does he think he is now to come and you know, teach us and to do these great things? It says they take offense at him. It's like they're offended that someone that they knew who was just like them is now so elevated. Right? There's jealousy here. And so their lack of honor has nothing to do with Jesus. He is honorable. But it's them and their hearts and their lack of humility. Right? Oftentimes, we don't honor because of me, right? It's my problem. Especially when it comes to people we're familiar with. And when they get elevated into maybe a leadership role, uh, we can struggle with that. And I remember I, I had once had lunch with um, a couple of people who seemed to have uh, issues with a church. Um, they had issues with um, leadership. Uh, they'd critique, complain about decisions. Um, structure uh, issues with me and so I just wanted to sit down and to kind of give them space to just hear them out and I sat down I had lunch with them and I heard them out and you know they just said a whole bunch of things and I was just nodding and kind of agreeing with the things that you know I could see I'm like oh that's a good point so it's trying to like you know just be humble and hear it um, and then somewhere along the way in the lunch I asked them hey how's work you know <laughs> try to change the uh, topic um, and for the rest of this the meal they spent uh, their time 
complaining and dishonoring uh, their work leaders. Right? It's kind of like what they were saying about church, it shifted and it became about their, their team leaders. And they worked in different places, but each of them were talking about how their leaders at work were incompetent and they're making bad decisions and they don't know what they're doing. And you know, I feel like I could do a better job than them. And you know, I left that meal kind of thinking, well, there, there's some truth in what they're saying and I'm going to take that. But maybe the, the lack of honor that they're showing to church and leaders and to their work, work leaders uh, had more to do with them Right, than the leaders themselves. Right, in the context of this passage, um, what we find is that you know, we need to check our hearts. When we resist honoring someone, right, does it say something more about you than them? Right, is there something that you need to work on? Again, we struggle with this most. In the context, it's, it's a Jesus that they grew up with who is now a leader, and they're struggling with that. In the context of us and our friends who become leaders, do we struggle with that? Right? When a colleague becomes your boss, when your friend is now your ministry leader, your growth group leader, do you struggle with that? I want to give a um, really specific example. But when I think about Peter and Daniel, um, who are now you know, pastors here at Kingsway, I, I wonder sometimes how hard it must be for them to pastor at a church where some of us have known them for a long time. You know, maybe you knew one or both of them before they were pastors. Maybe you knew them before they were Christian. And maybe you got some photos, you know, of like, you know, in the wild days. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for pastors to purposefully uh, go out of their way to not pastor amongst people they know. Right? Pastors, like, they purposefully go to a different church or, like, if they're Korean, they go to a Chinese church or they go overseas, right? Go out of their way to not pastor among people they know because of this reason, because familiarity breeds contempt, because it's hard to get honored and respect from people that you know. And so they go out of their way. And one reason, and the reason is it's, it's sometimes just easier to start off with a clean slate because, you know, people by default tend to give you a bit more honor and respect when they don't know you. And as I think about Peter and Daniel, uh, I wonder if it's a bit hard for them in this dynamic as I read about Jesus. And I just want to encourage us, um, you know, because we're familiar with them, I think it's great. But I also think we need to work to honor them, right, especially for those of us who know them well. And when I say all this stuff, I don't mean, you know, when you honor leaders, it doesn't mean turning a blind eye to weaknesses. It means you never you know, speak truth about you know, these are the things they should work on. We should kind of say those things. You don't just follow someone blindly, but in the midst of all of that, right, how do we honor them, especially if we know them well? You know, all I can say for myself, you know, is that I wouldn't be here able to pastor a church plant in Kingsway if the people here at Kingsway weren't humble enough to honor me beyond what I deserve. You know, often Uni and I, we talk about how um, amazing it is that there are so many people here who are so kind of supportive and honoring of, of me and us and the ministry um, beyond what we think, you know, we really deserve. You know, my situation, I think, um, defies this principle because there are so many people here that have known me for a long time. Um, but that's not a testimony to my greatness. 
uh, I think it's a testimony to their humility. Again, because honor, it's often about the person who honors in their heart. And I could name so many people right now. Um, just to give you an example, uh, Brother Songsu, um, he knew me I don't, before I became a Christian, perhaps, uh, definitely when I just became a Christian in 2003. Um, I got saved mid-2003. And by the end of that year, I went on my first uh, short-term mission trip, and he was in that trip. Uh, so was Pumi. Um, and man, back then, when I look at, you know, the kind of person I was, I don't know, even know if I seemed like a Christian, um, had a lot of rough edges. I was like very immature as a person. Um, I was told to cut my hair by the missionary because it was so dirty and purple. It was a bad witness to the Thai people. I'm not even joking. Um, that's the kind of person I was. And, you know, I often think it would be so easy for someone let's say like Songsu or Anna, his wife, to always see me through the lens of that past. As a child, as a kid, as an immature person, and maybe they do. Um, and yet there's so much honor uh, given from them toward me. And uh, when I think about those things, I'm convicted that that honor, it, it's a testimony to their humility and their willingness to give honor beyond right, what oftentimes feels deserved. And I could say that about so many people. Right? Thomas and Tina were there with me when I first began my ministry. They see me make a lot of mistakes and always, always honoring Uni and I beyond what we deserve. As people who knew me in high school, right? Paul, me, Tina, Asang, Chris, Nam, are people who've known me my whole life, my brother. Right? James has basically known me my whole life. And yet the fact that they're here, I think is a great testimony to the humility uh, that each of these people have in their hearts. I'm sorry if I missed you out and you've known me a long time. And I'd love for us to kind of keep developing this humility and ability to honor each other. You know, because I'd love for us to, to know each other for a very long time. And if we get to know each other for a very long time and we get more and more familiar, right, the temptation is for our honor to decrease. But I'd rather, I'd, I'd love for us to defy that, to get more and more familiar and yet more and more honor each other. Right, a French philosopher once said that the greater distance away from home he went, the greater he became. Right, this idea that back at home they didn't honor him, but you know, when he went far away and people didn't know him, they would, they would honor him. Right, that's the principle, but we, we want to defy that. So I think the first thing is let's, know, let's just know and acknowledge that this tends to happen in our lives. A familiarity breeds contempt. The more we know someone, the harder it is to honor them. Know that that's the way it works and really fight to resist it and give honor to people, especially those we know, especially when they you know, go into a leadership position. Right, that's the generalized kind of way of principle of applying it. But let's look at what it looks like here in this passage in terms of honoring Jesus. You know, we see that the crowds, they knew Jesus well. And they dishonored him. They rejected him. You know, when we read that, um, <clears throat> I think it's tempting for us to be like, oh, I can't believe they didn't honor Jesus. Right? I can't believe that those who are most familiar with him didn't respond with faith and honor. Uh, this, this is the way that I think it works. Right? In verse 2, it says this. Right? It says that they were astonished. And they asked three questions. They say, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? 
How are such mighty works done by his hands, right? They ask where, what, how? And those questions are meant to uh, lead us to the better question, right? The where, the what, the how is meant to lead us to who, right? Who, who is Jesus? That's really the core question that you want to ask. That's a question Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And so when we're confronted by the power and authority of Jesus, we're meant to be amazed and say, whoa, where did he get this? What did he do? How did he do this? But that's all meant to lead again to who he is. When we're not meant to linger, we're not meant to linger on the amazing things he does or says, but then we're meant to lead from there to be amazed by Jesus himself. But when you look at the disciples in the storm, by the end of that story, they don't stop and stare at the sky and be amazed by what Jesus did. The question they ask at the end is, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Right? That's the question. Who is Jesus? Right? So the amazement of where, what, how is meant to lead us to who and be amazed by who he is. And so the response is, Jesus, who are you? I have the faith to honor you as Lord and Savior. But that's where you want to go. That's where it seems like it's going with the crowd, but they think they already know who he is. Right? And so when you get to verse three, instead of being amazed by who he is, by seeing what he's done, they say, oh, we know who he is. It is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, Jesus, Judas, Simon. His sisters are with us. They're saying, we know this guy. He played down the street with your son, Jeff. He lives around the corner. He's Mary's boy. He, you know, he always ate his vegetables and slept five hours every, every nap time. Right? The perfect child. Right? We know this guy. Right? The who is meant to change. Right? But they struggle to do that. You know, in our lives, um, we, we fall into a similar danger where we get so familiar with Jesus that our honor and respect to him, it, it starts to decrease. We're not amazed by kind of who he is anymore. We think we know who he is. We think we know what he taught and none of these things seem to like, excite us anymore. And you know, when we look into our hearts, uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we just don't honor Jesus when we come to him. We just don't respect him as much as we used to. You know, when I first discovered Jesus, you know, I grew up in the Catholic Church, but I don't think I really heard and understood about Jesus until, you know, uh, 2003 when I, I was in first year uni. Um, I was so fascinated. Um, everything was new. Like I, I, every time I'd read a story, hear something Jesus said, hear a parable, it was like um, so fascinating and new that uh, I had so much honor and respect toward Jesus. Um, and yet, if I'm honest, over time, the more I got to know Jesus, know his Bible, the more familiar I became with him and his stories, I think that honor, the awe, the respect, it began, began to dwindle. I turned to stories and I'd be like, oh, I know that story. I know what Jesus is commanding. I know his teachings. I know Jesus. And the familiarity, even for me, reduced the honor that I had toward him when I'd approach him. I think I used to approach him in prayer with so much fear and trembling, right, in a good way. But after a while, it was just like, oh, let's pray. I closed my eyes and it, it wouldn't amaze me the fact that I'm talking to God and I've become so familiar. Now, I don't know, maybe you can relate with that. 
You know, none of us, you know, had Jesus, you know, growing up from as a child in our in our street. Right? Jesus didn't grow up with you around, um, but you know, maybe some of you grew up with Jesus around. Right? You grew up your whole life with Jesus you know, at church. You heard about him. You know his stories. You're familiar with him. You know, maybe a church. I think there's many great things that come out of growing up in the church. One of the pitfalls is that you can be very comfortable with Jesus and you're not amazed. Sometimes I see people who have just, they've been at church their whole lives, but stepping into worship, you know, praying, reading the Bible, you can tell it, it doesn't amaze them. There's this kind of comfort that they have with Jesus that it isn't a good comfort. It's the lack of honor that happens when we're familiar. And it doesn't just happen with people who grew up in church. Even Christians who've been Christians for a while, our familiarity can lead to contempt when it comes to Jesus. Right? We all run the risk of our honor toward Jesus decreasing as our familiarity with Jesus increases. Taking his word less seriously. Not fearing his judgment as much as we used to. Less willing to obey his commands. Right? All of these things are results that can happen when we become familiar with him. There's two things that we see in this story as a crowd, as his hometown doesn't honor him. And the first is that the lack of faith, it amazes Jesus. Verse six, it says, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. He marvels, he's amazed at their unbelief. You know, in other parts of the gospel, we see Jesus amazed at strong faith that people exhibit. But that's not what's happening here. He's amazed at how weak and lacking their faith is. That's like a scary place to be, that your lack of faith would amaze Jesus. He's like, wow, look at these good people. They have such little faith. And remember, this is his hometown. These are the people who are most familiar with Jesus. Out of anyone, if, if, if anyone should be most receptive and honor Jesus the most, you'd think it would be his hometown. And yet, they have the least faith. And the people who know him best seem to honor him the least. And again, we've got to think about it in our context. Those of us who know Jesus best, do we honor him the most or the least? It's meant to be, it should be, because it's Jesus and he's perfect, the more we get to know him, the more we're like, wow, this is, he's amazing and we should honor him more. But that's not always the case. And so if we were to get in a line and be like, okay, who's been Christian the longest? We put you, you know, in the height kind of thing. You're like, you're the Christian the most. And then let's go in order here. It should be that the people who are the Christian the most honor Jesus the most. Right? Is that what we're seeing? Or are we seeing the newest Christians with fresh faith who seem to respect and honor Christ the most? Would Jesus today be amazed by your faith or by the lack of it? Let's fight the greater faith we have in Jesus. The greater honor that we will give to Jesus. The more and more we get to know him, the longer we've been Christians, that people can see this person really honors him. Not only do we see that the lack of faith amazes Jesus in a bad way, we actually find that the lack of faith, it limits God's work. 
right? The lack of faith, it limits God's work. Verse five, it says, uh, Jesus could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. Jesus couldn't do any mighty work there because uh, the lack of faith, uh, the lack of faith and lack of honor toward him. And he could only heal a few sick people. Now, um, it's kind of funny that um, healing a few sick people is no mighty work because if it was anyone else, healing a few sick people is an incredible thing. Um, but it's because Jesus, right? Like it's like, oh, only a few, few people uh, were, were healed. Um, but this passage is kind of confusing. It kind of sounds like uh, Jesus is bound by our faith as if um, he's powerless and it's our faith that you know, enables him to do stuff. Um, and that's not always the case. Uh, we've seen Jesus work when he's surrounded by people with no faith. Um, his disciples, again, in the storm, they lack faith. They have a lot of fear. He rebukes them for it, but he can calm the storm. And when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, everyone around him is mourning, thinking Lazarus is dead, but Jesus raises him from the dead. Right? So Jesus isn't bound by our faith. But God's normal operating procedure, the way God tends to work, is that he waits for faith before he works in our lives. That's just what he wants. He wants to see our faith before he works. And so I wonder if maybe some of, for some of us who are very familiar with Jesus, who are not seeing God work in our lives, right? It's a result of us just not approaching God with that kind of honor and faith. Or we say we believe in God. We say we know how to pray. We say that we have faith, but if we're just truly honest with ourselves, we don't approach him with that kind of fear, trembling faith uh, that honors him as God, as creator, as powerful, as authority in our lives. We're super familiar with him and we don't really honor him as God in our hearts. He's not truly God in our lives. Uh, Hebrews 11.6, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Right? When we come to God, if we want to please him, we need faith. We need to believe that he exists and that he's going to reward me as I seek him. I don't know about you, but you know, even as we do Zoom service and as we sing and we pray, um, it's so easy to like just go through the motions. Oh, let's pray and you close your eyes and I don't know, you go off onto La La Land. You sing songs about you know, how amazing Jesus is, but you're just going through the, the words and it doesn't grip your heart. There's no like you know, amazement and like in your heart, it's not exalting God. Right? I see it in my heart and I'm just so familiar with church and Christian and the things that I do. And we need to fight against that, activate faith, true, genuine faith, whenever we come to God. God is here. He exists. He's with me in my room. And as I sing, he's listening to what I'm saying, what I'm singing, what I'm praying. And when I actually approach him, he's going to respond to me. He's going to reward me with something, even if it's just his presence. I do believe in that kind of God and honor him and exalt him with that kind of faith in your life. Why have you just become so familiar with going through the routines? Right? If we get into that rut of routine and familiarity, we shouldn't be surprised if God seems like it's not working. He's waiting 
for you to truly engage with him with that honor and faith that he deserves. So the general principle is that familiarity breeds contempt. Right? The more you know someone, the harder it is to honor them. It happens in our horizontal relationships with each other, and it happens even in our relationship with Jesus, even though it's perfect. And I said before that I'd love for us to just grow all together in this journey. But what that means is that my hope is that we would grow to be more familiar with each other and more familiar with God. But that also then means we need to fight against right, that lack of honor that tends to creep in. The more we become familiar with each other, that we fight so that we may give more and more honor toward one another, and that the more familiar we get with Jesus, that we would not go into like this rut and routine, but they would fight to honor him because we have faith in him. And every time we open the word, not get so familiar that, you know, you, you, you don't honor him, that the words that you see, the Jesus you see when you pray that you don't honor him, but that we fight against that and that we truly honor him with that kind of faith. I love for us to fight against right, that temptation.